Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. Sometimes it's not such a bad thing to be put in your place. Now, there are plenty of places on earth where I would rather not be put, even if a pandemic didn't require the avoidance of crowds. Shopping malls would make my short list of places generally to be avoided. They'd land somewhere between dentist chairs and group insurance seminars, or even worse, webinars. That's a word I didn't even know existed before COVID-19. Forgive me. Not only have I alienated the dentists and insurance agents, I've probably lost all of you perfectly decent people who just like to hang out at the mall. But hear me out. This is not a rant about the evils of shopping. I just don't like the buildings. Maybe it's the lighting, maybe it's the Muzak, maybe it's something pumped in through the ductwork or bubbling up in the fountains. Whatever it is, I always feel disoriented as soon as I step into a mall. I knew where I was when I drove up, but suddenly my internal compass goes haywire and I start scanning for one of those directories they put up every so often for poor lost souls like me, right? When I find one, I rush over and start looking not for north or south, not for the letter of the parking lot where I left my car, which I will have forgotten already. What I look for is that big red arrow that says, you are here. The mall doesn't get smaller, but I feel better. Mercifully, I've been put in my place, you might say. I'm right here. Now I can begin to make my way through this strange fluorescent maze. Now what we read in today in Matthew's Gospel seems to be one of those tidy, satisfying little stories that, frankly, we don't get that often from Jesus. The story's pleasing because... Jesus puts those Pharisees in their place, right? If we come to this story unprepared to read Pharisees as the snidely whiplash characters or generic bad guys here, Matthew makes sure we know they're up to no good. He tells us they were plotting to entrap Jesus. We can see them now, huddled in a small dark circle, rubbing their hands and sneering back over their shoulders. We know whom to root for in this confrontation. And Jesus doesn't let let us down. Jesus wins the argument yet again. Imagine that in the Bible. But what if Jesus wasn't as interested in winning this contest as we are? What if he was more concerned about orienting people? Putting them in their place, not so much to spite them, but locating them in the universe a little like I needed to be, bless my heart, at the entrance to the mall. In my Bible, this passage is set off by a confident heading in italics, the question of paying taxes. And for all the centuries that Christians have been reading Matthew's Gospel account, conscientious readers have wrestled with what Jesus might be telling us about our relationship to our governments and our money. Some devout Christians have withheld their taxes because they cannot in good conscience give money to support the waging of war. Others have withheld some of their taxes because they cannot in good conscience support, give money that might fund abortion. 
People in both camps struggle with Jesus' words, wondering about what he might be telling 21st century Americans about what we give to the empire and what we give to God, particularly given how offensive we find some of Caesar's behavior. Fair enough. Maybe one of the things the story is about is the question of paying taxes. But we Christians have missed the gospel ship from time to time by reducing Jesus' teachings to paragraph headings. There's that other story we insist on calling the parable of the prodigal son that's really about the forgiving father, you know? And in a similar way, I wonder if this story is less about what belongs to the emperor than it is about what belongs to God. If we read this story as a melodrama, then we expect the whole scene to end with the Pharisees and the Herodians humiliated, shuffling off in defeat, right? But the text simply says that they were amazed. And in Matthew, the people who are amazed are usually those who've caught a startling glimpse of who this Jesus actually is. People who suddenly sense that there's something astonishingly new at work in the world in him. Jesus stills a storm. The frightened disciples in the boat are amazed and ask one another, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? The lame, the maimed, the blind, and the mute are brought to Jesus' feet, and, and they leave him speaking and whole and walking and seeing. And the crowds are amazed, saying, we've never seen anything like this in Israel before. So what if the amazement of the Pharisees was at least partly the amazement of all these other witnesses? What if instead of just sending them packing, Jesus opened their eyes a little? What if he put them in their place? Suddenly, they saw the world as it really was and their true place within it, if only for a moment. I've long felt that this is a story that begs to be entered visually. We've seen the Pharisees plotting and heard the malice behind their questions. And then Jesus asks them for a coin. He doesn't talk about coins in general. He asks for one in particular. Show me the coin used for the tax, he says. So they bring him a denarius. And we see the little silver piece drop into his open hand. Whose head is this, he asks. Whose title? The emperors, they respond correctly, if a little weakly, maybe. This insignificant little metal bit with the emperor's likeness hammered onto its surface. Yes, you can give that back to him, he says. That is the emperor's. But his coin-sized concession opens them to a much larger question. Then what belongs to God? If this were a movie... The scene might begin with the camera in tight, showing the details of the little image of Caesar, the lines on Jesus' palm beneath it. Then it would begin to zoom out. Soon enough, we can't make out the coin. Then the hand is gone. The huddle of opponents shrink, shrink to individual pixels and disappear. The contours of the land smooth out, and continents and oceans take shape, and the earth becomes a marbled blue hole, and on and on, into our spiring galaxy and beyond. Give to God the things that are God, is what he says, maybe as the frame expands toward the infinite, 
in a universe that is expanding even faster than that. Creation can't be caught up with, even by our cinematic imaginations. And that, all of that, and what's still coming into being are the things that are God. The prophet and his challengers in that coin may have long since receded from view, but maybe most miraculously of all, they haven't been lost. They've simply taken their place in the order of things. And maybe, if just for a moment, all of them knew exactly where they were, standing beside this remarkable man, looking at this suddenly insignificant coin in the midst of God's astonishing and ongoing act of creation. You are here, is one thing this story seems to say. You see, sometimes it's just not a bad thing to be put in your place. For many of us, the orbits of our lives have gotten so much smaller over the past months. We, we feel so much less in control of what we can do and where we can go. Our hurts and our flaws seem to surface more quickly and stand out more starkly on these small stages of our coronavirus lives. It all takes a toll. But grace doesn't work by giving us greater control over our lives and our world, or even by making our sins and anxieties and unhelpful habits just go right away. No, sometimes grace goes to work on us by locating us, by saying, you are small, you are broken, but you are here in this beautiful vastness that belongs ultimately only to God. All of who you are is part of this as well. Yes, your worries and your failures and your hurts are part of the scene, as surely as those conniving Herodians are, but they're no bigger than the coin in that Jewish prophet's hand, a coin to which we can still give over so much of our hearts and minds and time and affection but wouldn't have to if we'd listen to what this Jesus has to say, if we'd let him put us finally in our places. I suppose this is what we're doing with little Julius at his baptism today, right? Putting him, before he even knows it, in his small but proper place in a universe that belongs to a loving God. Committing ourselves to be the kind of baptismal community that knows our place in the order of things, and acts out of a joyful humility to make this little corner of reality a little bit truer to its source. 600 years ago, a poet wrote that all the wickedness in the world that man might do or say was no more to the mercy of God than a live coal dropped in the sea. Sure, Jesus might have been telling you to make your peace with paying your taxes, but who else but Jesus would do so by putting us so mercifully in our place, by amazing us, and even easing the pain and glowing coals of our sins and failures really can cause, by giving us one nonchalant but vivid glimpse of the vast and merciful sea in which these little lives of ours are held. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or 
vote for the same candidates, or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.